Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome back to episode 284 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali, and I'm absolutely thrilled that you're tuning in to our show today. Before we go into the topic of our conversation, I wanted to make sure that you have taken our quiz. We have this free quiz of what type of lover are you? It takes two minutes and you will get so much great information on what are some of the areas that that you're already doing a great job and what are some of the areas that you can improve on. The quiz is completely anonymous, so you can take it and you're going to get the answers and hopefully you'll find it relevant. Today, we're going to talk about non-monogamy. Our guest is Dr. Jana. Dr. Jana is an NYU adjunct professor of human sexuality and the creator of Open Smarter, an online course that guides couples and individuals through a safer opening up journey. She holds a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University, and her scholarly work on non-traditional relationship styles has been published in several peer-reviewed journals. In January 2022, Ashley Madison commissioned a YouGov survey on non-monogamy in consultation with Dr. Jana. In their study, which they questioned and surveyed 1,000, more than 1,100 Americans, they found that 72% said they saw monogamy as the ideal relationship model. 58% said that the ideal relationship type would be complete traditional monogamy. And 25% opted for some level of sexual or romantic romantic non-exclusivity as their ideal relationship type. In this interview, Dr. Jana and I were going to talk about those 25% that they are looking for different types of relationship. We're going to talk about different types of non-monogamy. We're going to talk about how you can open up your relationship in an intentional, thoughtful way. And we're going to talk about how you can work through some of the challenges that you have. This is the first episode as part of our open relationship series. We have done several episodes in the past on different topics related to non-monogamy, but I'm super excited that in these new series, which, is, which we so far recorded three episodes, we're going to talk about different parts of navigating your way through non-monogamy. So if this is a topic that you're interested in, if you belong to that 25%, make sure that you are following, subscribing to our show because you want, you don't want to miss this collection. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Jana. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Jana. Dr. Jana, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thanks for that, having me. Well, I am very excited about this conversation. We had some previous conversation in this podcast about non-monogamous relationships, different types of non-monogamous relationships, and we continue to get lots of questions. <laughs> so I'm glad that you joined Great. us. 
Great. Let's answer as many questions as we can for your listeners. Awesome. Awesome. So I know that you talk, you write a lot about non-monogamous relationships. So tell us, how did you arrive at this place of kind of doing research, doing speaking in this area? Sure. I have always been myself a non-monogamous person and I have been in non-monogamous relationships pretty much my entire life. And I struggled with monogamy myself, and that made me very curious about what is it, you know, what what made me different from everyone else in society who seemed to think that monogamy was a good way to be, and they were trying, and or many were succeeding, and that led me pretty much to my studies, which started with, you know, an undergraduate degree in psychology and then a PhD at Cornell University in developmental psychology, where I got to study some of these questions around promiscuity, casual sex, non-monogamy, and sexual orientation, kind of the different things, different sexual desires and needs that we have that kind of fall outside the box in a way. And yeah, and then after after getting my PhD in that area, then I've been combining sort of my consulting practice with with clients and my research and my teaching to really understand better and more and share the stuff that we do know about monogamy and non-monogamy with as many people as I can so they can make the right decision for them because monogamy is the right decision for many people, but not for everybody. There are many people for whom non-monogamy in some way, shape or form is the right decision. And so I think people need more guidance on what is the right choice for them. And then whichever choice they choose, then how to do it well, because you can do both monogamy and non-monogamy poorly and hurt both yourself and the uh, your your partner and any other partners that you may have, or you can do them really well and be really happy and fulfilled and have a great relationship and or, or relationships. And so we all need the tools, the psychological tools, communication tools that will help us get there. You know, do it the right way and not the the bad way. <laughs> Well, I agree with you. I also seen in my practice the kind of monogamous relationships that turn out really kind of end up where ended very negatively and consensual non-monogamous relationship that turned out to a disaster. It's more of a more about the tools we know and how to use it, making the right decision for ourselves. And I like that you're kind of like talking about it as many, like one of many options in the menu, because for many people, the default is monogamy. And if they feel mm-hmm. like, hey, we're, we're not, do, we don't want to do monogamy or monogamy is not a fit for us, they feel broken and they keep getting stuck in this kind of like unhealthy cycles that they feel defective and they feel there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm so excited about these teachings and this research that you're doing. Well, tell us, what are some of the limitations of uh, monogamous relationships? Limitations of monogamous relationships. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of us have experienced, have been in non-monogamy, and the limitations are that it can get a little limited, <laughs> can get a little, a little routine or boring. A lot of us are really interested in having more variety, more novelty, more sort of different kinds of experiences, and there's 
only so many kinds of experiences that you can have with any one given person, no matter how amazing they are, no matter how much into them, you into each other, you are all of those things. There is a limit to how many different kinds of things and smells and all of the different things you can have. So that's one of the limitations, right? And some people want that more than other people. That's something that we differ as human beings. And some of us really want that, those kinds of experiences. And some people are like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. So, and then very often we have many other needs. You know, we're complex human beings that have more and more needs and more and more opportunities to meet our needs because we live in a time of unprecedented development and abundance. There's everything almost that for many of us, of course, there are lots of differences in how available these things are to some of us and and some have much, much greater luxury than other people. But generally speaking, compared to any other time in human history, there are more people on the planet now who can have many of their different needs met. And at the same time, they're so, we're so complex and there's so many different things that we can want. And it's often difficult to get that from any one person. Again, no matter how well matched we may be with each other, there are still, still limitations to that. As you said, that it's kind of more about your personality and your preferences and what's available and knowing yourself. So I'm definitely interested to hear what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely differences in how much we need some of these things. Some of that is biological. You know, people often think, or I don't know actually what people often think, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of our needs for this are biological. And there are biological differences between people that determine to what extent we want some of this excitement and adventure and you know, novelty and exploration. It all is related to the dopaminergic system in the brain. I can tell you a lot, a lot more. <laughs> well, I'm very excited. So you're telling us that, is it possible to see kind of like objectively who are the people that would be a better fit for non-monogamous relationships based on their traits compared to people who are better fit for the monogamous relationship based on the traits and also their different neurobiology. Am I getting that correctly? Yeah, yeah. So do tell us about that. I'm curious about (laughs) neurobiology. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I do a whole masterclass on this. So if people want to learn more about this, I don't want to get too deep into the detail tonight. But uh, yeah, I do a free masterclass a couple of times a month where um, I talk about how we can think about these things where people can really look into themselves and use that to guide their relationship choices. So people should check it out. You can find more info at drjana.com. And I have an entire course the Open Smarter course, an online course that people can go through on their own time to figure out where they are based on their personality profile. But generally speaking, right, it's the people who are who have a high need for sexual and romantic adventure, those people are not well suited for monogamy, complete, strict, lifelong monogamy, right? Those people need some level of non-monogamy. And most of those people honestly find some of some non-monogamy in some way, whether they find it through cheating, non-consensual non-monogamy, 
or they find it through serial monogamy. So they date someone for a little bit, then they break up, then they date someone uh, a bit more again and again and again. So it's because it's the complete lifelong monogamy model is not really a good fit for them. Whereas people who are low on that, who don't have a lot of that need, they would be really well suited for, for monogamy. And especially if you can make that monogamy hot, if you're well matched with your partner and you're really into them sexually and you can have a lot of fun experiences together and you can find plenty of adventure within just two people. I'm not, you know, no one's saying that there's no adventure between two people that that can be a lot of fun for many years. If, if people are open to exploring and sharing their fantasies and kind of going in different directions. Um, so, and then they're going to hit a wall at some point with, acting on any desires for other people, but you can even play with desires for other people in your monogamy. You don't have to ever act on anything, right? You can just play around with the idea of having a threesome or having a, a foursome or something like that and make that part of your hot, adventurous monogamy. But, you know, some of us are, need even more. They're more adventurous. I'm also like me. Whatever that spectrum is, I was on top of it. <laughs> that is awesome that you figured that out and like kind of being comfortable with that. This is I'm, I, I, I love novelty. I, I, I like excitement. And this is who I am versus especially for women. And most cultures, there's just so much negative stigma connected to that because then there comes with all sorts of labels. So yeah. again, you being a champion of doing this research talking about these things I'm sure it's easier for you to acknowledge that but I think that's that's really tough for many people and even people from conservative community I work with I feel like there are desires about exploring the non-monogamous relationship even if it's fantasies and I hear like one of the most common fantasies I hear even again I work with some conservative like people from conservative communities about threesome is just like some of one of the common fantasies how do we know that as if for our relationship exploring the fantasies are enough or we are going to be successful if we're opening up the relationship how can the couple assess that that's a good question it depends on how much people want to take this risk because it is a risk of you know, bringing this uncertainty into the relationship that you can't exactly predict which way it's going to go. And so some people are more kind of risk averse. They're, they're more like, I don't want to take risks. We, what we have is good, right? I don't want to mess with it. And other people are like, let's, let's, let's give it a try. You know, maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can do it. (laughs) And then it matters a lot how, how secure the bond is between people, right? The relationship quality of the existing relationship is very important. If, if people are not, if the two people are not really happy in the relationship, like if you think of relationship quality and happiness on a scale of one to five, if you're not like a four or a five, just in general, how happy you are with your partner, if you're somewhere like a three or a two or, you know, a one, then that's probably going to create more trouble than it's worth. Because you don't have a stable base, putting more onto that base that can't even withstand what's on it already is probably not going to be helpful. But if you're a four or a five, you know, then then you can think about, okay, we have good and good amount of security 
to move forward. And then you have to be very, very gentle with your partner once that starts to happen. And so people who can be gentle with their partners, because different people are going to need to move at different speeds if they do decide to open up. Some people might want to jump, you know, head in. Other people might be like, whoa, 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 let's just dip our toes a little bit and process and, you know, pause at every, at every step of the way. And there's no right way to go. Literally, whichever different people will need different things. And so it's about finding what can work between these two particular humans. And then even within that, there are different desires. Okay, if we're going to have a threesome, what kind of threesome are we going to have? We're going to have, if it's a heterosexual couple, we're going to have a threesome with another woman. We're going to have a threesome with another man. Are we going to have a threesome with someone we know, a friend, or someone who's a complete stranger, right? Are we going to do it at a sex party that we're going to go to? Are we going to do it home privately? And so all of these questions are things that people need to talk about, think about first themselves, which way they want to go, why, and then talk to their partners about it. Well, I like that you're talking about the kind of having a stable base. I think that's where some people get lost. What I see at times is that people have some kind of a challenge in the relationship, like they are in a sexless relationship, and they say that that's going to be the solution. Or they perhaps they they already went outside the relationship and they they say like let's call it an open relationship to mm-hmm. to kind of like navigate that that situation. So I love that mm-hmm. you're talking about okay, you both need to be at a good place with the relationship and being thoughtful about the actions. Yeah. Now, of course, like all of these situations are in many cases you have to look at it case by case. You know, in um, In many cases, a sexless marriage can be solved or resolved by opening up a relationship one way, for example, right? If this marriage is sexless because one person is not into sex and the other person is sexual, but other things work, you know, if if your marriage is a four or a five, except for the sex part, then you can outsource the sex and you still, if you have a good bond, but it's also not just about having a good, strong bond. It's also about maintaining it. So in any of these relationships, especially once you open up, then very often you're going to have to do a little more relationship maintenance than you were doing before because of this additional stuff going on that can be a little uncomfortable, right? It can be jealousy provoking, it can be insecurities provoking, it can be threatening, you know, you could potentially lose your partner more easily this way than if the, the the agreement is monogamy. So in order to counter some of that insecurity that is entering a relationship when it opens up in some way, then you're going to have to really focus on each other and make sure that your relationship is, in a, is, is good, that you're filling each other's love tanks, as the Five Love Languages author says, which it's, is a book that I highly recommend to anyone who's thinking of potentially opening up. Don't open up if you don't know each other's love languages. And you're not good at giving each other the love that you, each of you needs to feel. I think that is so, so important. And you're right. I certainly had clients that I identify as asexual and they're just so happy that they outsource that part of a relationship. Or I have people with different sexual orientation that they love the idea of because of the community they're part of kind of presenting as heterosexual couples and they have their own wonderful lives and it's completely functional. And Mm -hmm. I've seen that people at times, they agree with it from the place of desperation. They don't want to lose their partner and they agree to it and they just increases the pain. So you brought up the topic of jealousy 
And that is such a common challenge for many of my clients that they open up the relationship. The idea of their partner being with someone else is just like so painful for them. So what are some of the tips that you have for people who are new in this path? That is a a big fear. And there are a lot of resources out there in the non-monogamous community and literature on how to deal with jealousy. There's some good workbooks on jealousy. Literally, there is a a jealousy workbook (laughs) and many other techniques. My course has a lot of techniques as well for how to deal with it. But I think probably the biggest piece of advice that I can give to folks who are fearful of jealousy is the they don't have to be as fearful of it as they are. That jealousy is indeed very unpleasant. It's very, very hard to deal with, but that we're actually not as powerless against jealousy as our monogamous society tells us that we are. And there is often a lot to learn from jealousy. Like it can teach us a lot of things about ourselves, about our partners, about our dynamic, about what's missing for me personally, about what's missing for me between the two of us or from you. And I think if people get a little, just a little curious about where their jealousies are coming from and you, and they combine that with containing some of the triggers, some of the big triggers that they're not ready to face yet, because we all have different amounts of time and energy to face different, different difficult things. And so there are techniques to use that you can kind of shield yourself from some of the biggest triggers. And then techniques that you can use to work through some of those triggers or situations that you you, know, you are okay experiencing and going through. So between those two, the, the combination of those, those two sets of techniques is, is manageable. Jealousy is manageable and it's actually kind of good for us. I didn't feel jealousy for a long, long time. I thought I was immune to jealousy. And then I finally kind of felt it maybe like three years ago for the first time. I remember exactly the the, the day I, I celebrated that day. I told all my girlfriends, I was like, oh my God, I, I finally felt jealousy. It felt awful. It was just horrible. And I'm so happy because, well, first I feel human because before that I'd felt kind of like, like an alien because some of us are just low on jealousy. Jealousy is another thing that people just differ on. Some people are much higher than other people. Most people are relatively high. There are good evolutionary reasons for it. But yeah, then I was like, now I know something about myself that I didn't know before. Like I could now start to think about, oh, what kind of situation made me feel jealousy? Oh, what about that? Interesting, right? So I could now have a comparison to the times that I didn't feel it. So it's, um, yeah, don't run away from jealousy would be my advice. And I think also I love that you brought up kind of like noticing it because that's a data point. That's that's very, very important for many people. It's also an invitation for them to look into the family of origin and some wounds from there. Because sometimes people kind of experience this fear of abandonment in the relationships that are secure and this opportunity for them to work through those situations and sometimes it's hard to people on a kind of primary relationship to acknowledge that right like I, we're, I agree to this and I'm dying from jealousy right like you, you just like there's a level of vulnerability when you acknowledge that and the other part of it is that kind of being able to receive that because sometimes people start getting defensive that we agreed on this and that can be tricky How can people kind of like open up those conversations? Great points, great points. And it is very often that people either have shame about even feeling jealousy, think they shouldn't be feeling it. And so they don't share it. They kind of keep it inside and just try to push through. 
or if they do share it, partners are not great at receiving. And so these are some of those emotional regulation skills and assertiveness skills, communication skills, that uh, empathy skills that people need to practice. These are some things that we're not great at doing. Many of us, no one often teaches us how to do these things, especially about topics that are so kind of difficult and sensitive. And so it's about acknowledging that we're going to have to be vulnerable. We're going to have to share when it hurts and we're going to have to be compassionate and hear our partner when they say it hurts and then, you know, try to be there for them and figure out how can we, how can we help them through? How can they help us through that without, hopefully without having to completely abandon this attempt to expand. And that expansion, like I often people think, oh, if we open up a relationship, it, we're going to have to be having orgies every weekend, you know, or something, something like super extreme in some other way, or uh, we're going to have to end up living, you know, in a poly commune with five other couples. And like, no, there are so many, so many little steps in that journey of openness that, that, people can take just like slowly, 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 and then backtrack a little bit if they need to soothe each other, recreate the security that was, you know, shaken up and then, and then continue to move forward um, or upward or however you want to think of it. Well, thinking about like all the kind of galaxy of options for consensual non-monogamous relationships, I would imagine the small steps look look different for like threesome versus like polyamory, all sorts of different kind of open relationship. Perhaps if if a couple want to do consensual non-monogamy, right? Like what would be the first step for in this journey? Like a first small step, like a non-monogamous, monogamous relationship, want to tip their toes into that world. But what would be that step like? Oh, well, again, it, it depends quite a bit how big of a step people want to take, right? Whether, <laughs> you know, you could, you could just try with something as, as little as, you know, just sharing fantasy or just even flirting with other people, depending on where people are. You know, some people have never, ever spoken about any fantasies that they might have for other people. Other people might have talked about it, but they're just not doing anything. Some people have, you kind of start a little bit above or beyond where you already are. And I can't tell you where you are, right? So if, if, you've, uh, if you've talked about some fantasies, then maybe you flirt with some people. If you've already flirted with some people and talked about that, then maybe next time you allow each other to make out with the people that you're flirting, but not anything more than that, right? So it can be those kind of little steps. But, you know, you mentioned polyamory versus open relationships. There are some of these steps that make sense for more people than for other people. And polyamory is often discussed these days as one of the options for consensual non-monogamy. But polyamory is actually not the, the type of non-monogamy that the vast majority of people would, uh, at least initially, thrive in. The, because polyamory is more about having multiple long-term romantic relationships, so multiple serious partners, which... You know, it works really well for some people, but it is not something that most people want. Most people want one relationship partner and a side piece of some sort. I don't know if your uh, listeners and viewers have uh, watched, had a chance to watch Ali Wong's new Netflix special. No, I didn't know there's one new one. 
<laughs> Don Wong. Yes, uh, it is very relevant to this topic. So if people are curious about that, but in, in it, she kind of talks about the monogamy jail that she feels that she is in. <laughs> that she doesn't know how to get out of. <laughs> but I think a lot of people are having some of those desires and needs. And she says, one of the greatest jokes that women have played on ourselves is to convince ourselves that having it all means having a career and a family. You know, she's like, I have both. It's not enough. <laughs> you know, I want a family, a career and a side piece. And she is not alone. Like that is probably the most common category. I would like to share some data with your listeners that we just collected that I'm really excited about that. I collaborated with Ashley Madison, which is the world's largest married dating website where people can find non-monogamy. And I teamed up with them to conduct a nationally representative survey of Americans that was commissioned by Ashley Madison and conducted by YouGov, so an independent agency that surveyed over a thousand people, almost 1200 people on the topic, or one of the questions was, what is your ideal relationship type? And your ideal relationship type for most people, as you can imagine, was monogamy, but the closed monogamy, but the numbers were actually quite interesting. So 60% of women and 56% of men said that closed monogamy would be their ideal. The next most commonly desired type of relationship was open monogamy, a relationship where you have one serious long-term partner and have some sexual partners on the side. So 15% of men and 8% of women chose this as their ideal relationship type. Polyamory was 5% of women and 7% of men. And then, so of the two different types of relationship, of these consensually non-monogamous relationship, definitely there's more interest in open monogamy than in polyamory. I think if people can systematically work through their fear, the jealousy piece, and also the fear of losing their partner, I think they're going to be there. And I hear it in my office that there are lots of interests from both people in the relationship. But there, they, there is this uh, script that people grew up with that if you are doing this, you are more prone to losing your partner. But I'm not sure if that is an, that's an accurate script because I, I see many people in monogamous relationships and relationship ends and people go with other people. So I'm not sure if the fear, fear is a good reason for people to hold back from exploring this. So there are a number of different communities out there. So if people are interested for kind of like finding a quote unquote side piece <laughs> or non monogamy <laughs> explore non-monogamy, what are some of the common ones out there? Yeah, so there are different ways to go about an open monogamy type relationship, right? And, and you mentioned some of those, like, is it a is it a threesome kind of more scenario? Is it a so for people who are interested in playing together, right? Opening up their relationship in a way that involves it's the two of them together, and they're kind of going out to have threesomes, foursomes other larger kinds of experiences uh, or, or combinations. That is more in the swinging uh, realm 
of uh, open monogamy and depending on how much you do it, you can do it in a, in a small way, in a monogamish type of way, or you can kind of go, go all in. So there are different swinger clubs and, 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 you know, sex clubs and parties and conventions and a lot of these different kinds of spaces that are local so that people can look up. They usually have a presence on, on the internet that uh, people can kind of look up and find a place to go and play together in, in person, kind of directly in that way. If people want to go down more the finding someone in a more private kind of scenario, then I would suggest the apps. The, the, the apps that are specifically geared towards finding these kinds of partners. And when it comes to finding non-monogamous people who are interested in having these threesomes, foursomes, then I would send them either to Ashley Madison, the site where people understand discretion. So for people who want to be more kind of discreet about what it is that they're doing, where people understand that many people might not be able to have a face picture on it or something like that, then Ashley Madison is is a great place to go. And it's the largest site, 75 million members worldwide. So that's, that's your best bet for people who want to be more kind of out and proud about uh, this, uh, a place like field is uh, probably the, the closest we have field is not, large enough yet I would love to make it larger <laughs> you know so that more of us can find each other that way but uh, in many places of, of the world that would work as well so and then there are local groups where people can kind of connect more in in um, in terms of some workshops or some other types of meet and greet events that are not necessarily play parties if people want to take it yeah, that way. So yeah, those are some options for people who want to play together, people who want to play separately, go more in the area of open relationships. And as and each of those has somewhat different kind of rules and expectations. So people can decide how much they want to. And one of the most important things when people play separately is to discuss how much of those separate experiences people are going to share with each other. Because that's often a way to also control jealousy. So for people who are kind of afraid of what that might look like, yeah, if you're seeing people together, you don't have to share. Depends on what is going to actually quell your jealousy, right? You don't have to know all the details. Like, I don't have to know all the details. So, so yeah, different, different kind of ways of going about it. And there are online communities if people want to connect and have friendships in the sex positive community, because it's, it's true what you were saying earlier, there's so much shame and stigma for so many people around living anything but the monogamous lifestyle. And I understand that a lot of people who live in more conservative spaces and, and communities can't just be you know, out and proud about anything, anything like that. And so you don't have to. There are communities online where you can connect with sex positive kind of non-judgmental people and you can have those conversations and those connections in that way and still still be the same kind of person that you've been in your own community. Right? So there are combinations of discretion that we can use and finding people still that will support us because it is necessary to have community. It is necessary to be with people, to find, to have time, sometime in, in your life to spend with people who are not going to be judgmental, who you can talk about sexuality and relationships in this open and honest way that 
where you can be that part of yourself so that at other times in your life, when you're at work or when you're with, with your family or whatever, you can be this other person and be able to enjoy that for what it is, because you know that you're supported about other aspects of yourself elsewhere. I like that. So many great suggestions as far as the communities. And I also wonder that for people like I personally, if I belong to the camp that I don't necessarily want to know, I don't want to monitor someone else's private life and sex life. And I feel like sometimes I see people say that, okay, I have, if my partner have a threesome, I need to, I, I want to wait next, next door. I mean, if, if it turns you on, you can wait next door, but you don't need to kind of police the other person. I think the more that like, if find that this desire to control maybe it's data that maybe you have to kind of like take it slightly slower and I have clients that they they use local kind of resources like even like like a swinger uh, vacation spots all of those things and I like that you invite people to go to kind of check it out it's like if I like Italian restaurant like someplace it might be amazing someplace might be the wife this might not be a good fit so it doesn't mean like Italian restaurant is bad. <laughs> Maybe this location is not the right fit for me. And Absolutely. I have clients that they use field in a discreet way. I guess my invitation for people is, and I want to hear your thoughts on that, is that if you are going with someone else, maybe transparency, even if you want to be discreet, that's important. But I think it's the less complicated it is, the better it is. Because if you're going with someone that they're hiding part of their life, And that can kind of like, if things go wrong, that can reactivate that shame cycle, right? Because you feel like, okay, connecting that kind of non-monogamy to being bad or to doing something wrong. And especially if you're starting that, you just don't want to go through that path of doing things that kind of can come back and kind of like get you in a way, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for adding that. (laughs) Well, tell us if you people want to get a hold of you, what are some of the places that they can find you and your material? Sure. I'm very easily Googleable as Dr. Jana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A. That's my Instagram. That's my Twitter. And that's my website, drjana.com. And uh, the online course is drjana.com slash open dash smarter. So open, open smarter is the online course that people can go through on their own time and learn about all of these different personality traits that we were talking about, how to use them to figure out what's right for them, how to use them to develop some of their skills that they're going to need if they're going to open up. And then we actually have free monthly events mm-hmm. with all of our students and non-students so they're open to anyone, our Open Smarter Socials. They happen every Wednesday, every third Wednesday of the month. And we discuss a different topic each month. This month is going to be open monogamy for March. Then, um, then in April, we're going to talk about jealousy. Then in May, we're going to talk about overcoming social stigma. So these are opportunities for people to just come meet some people from all over the world. They're quite international. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a good opportunity to have some of these conversations that maybe they can't have in other ways and other settings. And um, I also teach a master class that I mentioned that uh, people can learn about more by getting on our list and coming to the events if they want to learn more. And then I'm very active on both Instagram and Twitter. So please connect with me on there. Well, I think it's wonderful that you offer people the opportunity to do this intentionally, right? And I think having communities are huge. 
I, there's a part of it I can imagine there's a possibility of connecting with possible partners and lovers. But the other part of it is kind of like thinking about all people of all sources, uh, like a sorts of kind of lifestyle, kind of like our part of this community can be empowering. So I think that's that's wonderful that there is this community that you created. And also there are kind of like tangible, actionable th- things that people can do. They don't need to necessarily guess that what would be right for them. It seems like there's a more of a, a stepwise approach toward that. There is, there really is, because it can be quite overwhelming when people step into this world. It can be very overwhelming. There's so many potential options. There's so many potential pitfalls because I'm not, I don't, I don't lie about this thing. Opening up is not necessarily easy. It is, a, it is the riskier choice. And anyone who tells you differently is lying. <laughs> it is a riskier choice. And so you have to be prepared to be smarter about these risks that you're taking and then have the tools that you need to deal with them. When you go, right, just because something is risky doesn't mean we don't do it. Going, you know, climbing the Himalayas is risky. Doesn't mean that people shouldn't go and do that, but you are going to prep for that, right? For that journey, you're going to bring a lot of tools that you need to keep you safe and other people safe. And it, this is no different in a way. So I think it's necessary for you know, people to have the tools that they need and be provided with this. So that's, that's, that's what I would like, like to give to, uh, to people. Beautiful. So the community part that you mentioned, anyone can who's curious whether they've done the course or not, they can just attend the training. They can event. Yeah. So there is a social event where we kind of talk more with each other. People jump on mics. So these are all online events, right? And so there, there are often breakout rooms where people can meet each other in smaller groups. And yeah, so it's more of a social. And then we have a training, a masterclass that talks more about these these needs that we have and how we can use that. You're basically about your relationship orientation and how you can use your relationship orientation to tell you what is the right relationship type for you and, uh, and how to deal with jealousy and all of these other things. So yeah, come connect with me. Both of these events are free and yeah, I look forward to helping you guide on, guide you on that journey. If you want to go on that journey, it's a fun journey. It's a really fun journey. <laughs> right, right gears for it. Well, yeah. the link for the information will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Jana, for with your open about your openness, about your kindness and thoughtfulness. And thank you for your time. Thank you, Dr. Naz. I hope you found our conversation meaningful. As I mentioned, this is the part one of three part series, and we're going to go more in depth on if, for example, if you're interested in swinging, what you need to keep in mind, what are you, how are you going to work through jealousy? So, so many great parts of this conversation is coming up. But I know sometimes non-monogamy can be a challenging topic for many people. It's important to have positive role model and positive vision of what it looks like in mind, if that's something that you're curious. I had the pleasure of working with several different triads, group of people that they were in polyamorous relationship or they've been in through different types of lifestyle and non-monogamous relationships. And through them, I've seen that this is something that's completely possible and people can have healthy, positive experiences with their partners. I was thinking about doing a series like on your story. So if you are in a non-monogamous relationship, 
I would love to hear from you if you can record your voice of telling us a brief story of how you were able to navigate this lifestyle for yourself, I think would be super, super helpful for people. You can record your voice on sexologypodcast.com. I believe the audio like will allow you to, like there's this purple tab that you can record your voice. It often allow you to record around 90 seconds, but if you need more time, that's okay as well. You can re-record in another audio. I think it will be important to talk about this and kind of like share your stories with us so we can share it with our listeners, because obviously I cannot retell my clients' stories in depth, but you are able to share your stories. So I think it's going to be helpful to many people. If I get more than 10, I will do an episode just replaying this audio. Again, thank you so much for tuning into our episode and we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.